Turning first then to the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, we're going to read from Leviticus 23, the verses 4 through 14. Our Lord was crucified as the Passover lamb at the time of Passover. And we're going to read from the Old Testament the timing of that feast Passover and also the other feasts which were directly associated with it, Feast of Unleavened Bread and also the first fruits. Turning then to Leviticus 23, verse 4. These are the feasts of the Lord. Holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the fourteenth day of the first month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you, and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hin. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And then let us turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24. We'll read together the first 12 verses and the first six verses, at least to the first part of verse 6, will be the text that we'll focus on this morning. But let's read together the first 12 verses. So there was a group of women who had watched his burial in the tomb. We read this at the end of Luke chapter 23. And then they had gone back to their homes to prepare spices and fragrant oils for a proper burial for the Lord. And then they rested on the Sabbath. And now we continue with what they did on the day after Sabbath. Let us hear the word of God. Now on the first day of the week, 
very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid, and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened so far. After the proclamation of God's word and responding to it, let us sing a psalm which prophesies the resurrection of our Lord. Psalm 16, the stanzas 1 and 5. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, it was very, very early in the morning, first day of the week. In fact, we know from the Gospel of John that it was so early in the morning that it was basically still dark. The Gospel writer John says, while it was still dark. And yet, so early on that first day of the week, when you could hardly see what people were doing, look, it was a group of women. What were they doing out so early in the morning? Well, the Holy Spirit makes it very clear to us what they were doing. They were walking with spices, perfumes, special oils for embalming in their hands, and they were headed for the tomb where Joseph of Arimathea had arranged that the body of our Lord would be laid. These women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and other women with them, exact number, we don't know the size of the group, but anyways, a good group of women heading out to the tomb. They did so because they loved their Lord. 
Earlier in this gospel, Luke chapter 8, we read what he had done specifically and personally for some of these women. Some of them had been demon-possessed. Our Lord had released them from that kind of suffering. Some of them had terrible chronic diseases, illnesses, and the Lord had healed them. And so, out of their love, out of their devotion for him, they come now. It doesn't matter that it's still dark, still so early in the morning. They're eager. They're so eager to show their love, their devotion, by doing at least this last thing. Giving him a proper, decent burial. At least. So they thought they were going to do. But then, as they come, things are not as they would expect. The stone that they thought was going to be over the mouth of the tomb was not there. The body that they had come to embalm was not there. But who was there? Two men. Yes, that's how they're described. Two men, but we understand by their garments, we understand by what they said that these two men are two angels. They are two messengers sent by God the Father from heaven above to earth below. And even though as we read verse by verse about these women and what they did, brothers and sisters, it's actually what these two angels say that is at the center of this event. It's at the center of Easter Sunday commemoration. It's an announcement. It's an announcement from heaven as to what has happened. And what has happened? Yes, a resurrection. And a resurrection is rare enough the way it is, but there have been other resurrections. The son of the widow of Zarephath was dead but was raised to life again or Lazarus Lazarus was dead he was in the tomb even for a number of days but he arose by the power of God and he lived again but brothers and sisters this announcement about this resurrection from heaven is not another resurrection just like the son of the widow of Zarephath or like Lazarus. This was not a resurrection to this life. It was not a resurrection with his unglorified body. This was now a resurrection with his glorified body. This is the first resurrection in final glory already now at this time and it's the beginning of a whole new set of powerful workings of our God and so on this Easter Sunday morning I may proclaim to you the gospel given from heaven through the angels announcing the resurrection of our Lord heaven announces the creation not of just another old fallen life no heaven announces the creation of a new glorified life on earth. And we're going to look more carefully at the exact timing of this announcement, 
the messengers who bring it, and finally the question that they put at the end or close to the end of their announcement. First of all, then, the timing. Did you notice, brothers and sisters, how the Holy Spirit wants us to know exactly when this happened? The exact day and even the exact hour. Two points of timing. Now, on the first day of the week, and then after that, very, very early in the morning. Let's look more closely at each one. Now, on the first day of the week. This is all part of the calendar at that time. It's part, brothers and sisters, of all the feast days that the Lord had laid out already in the book of Leviticus. And that's why we read that together. And we turn then once again back to Leviticus 23, and we're going to follow through the days. The 14th day of the first month was the Feast of Passover. Now, as we know, the Lord Jesus Christ was arrested and he went through his trial before Pilate before the Passover. And in fact, he was crucified just as it was coming close and everything was rushing. Everything was rushing to the actual day of Passover. Passover beginning in the evening. And this is why Joseph of Arimathea had to act so quickly because Passover was coming and everything had to be done. You read this at the end of Luke 23. The day, that day was the preparation and the Sabbath, which was the day of the Passover celebration, was coming closer and closer. And then, after our Lord had died, it was the Sabbath day, it was the last day, it was the seventh day of the week. And that group of women who were so eager to give their Lord a proper burial in obedience to the commandment, the commandment that we heard, the fourth commandment, they rested. And you can just imagine how hard that was for them because they wanted to do that so badly. But they rested in obedience to the commandment on the Sabbath day. But then, the day after Sabbath, which was the first day of the week, what was that day? You see, that too was a special day. We read about that in Leviticus chapter 23, how the Feast of Unleavened Bread was beginning, but then as part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was the Feast of the first fruits. And we read that in verse 11 of Leviticus 23, that the people should come and they should bring so that the priest could wave the first sheaf before the Lord, the first part of the harvest, on the day after the Sabbath. Not on the Sabbath day, not two days after the Sabbath day, but on the day after the Sabbath. The priest had to take that first sheaf taken off the fields, and had to wave it before the Lord. Now, in order to understand this, brothers and sisters, we need to understand just a little bit about how the agricultural year went at that time. You see, it went differently. The climate was different. They did not have these deep, cold freezes with ice and snow like we have. They had some snow up in the mountains, Mount Hermon. But for the most part, 
the temperature in Palestine is much more moderate. And so what they would do, because it was not only moderate but dry, is they would plant a lot of the seeds in October, November, so that those seeds could receive the rains. There were two sets of rains. First of all, the early rains in December and January, and then just about this time of the year, March going into April, were what they called the late rains, and that was just that rain which gave the last little bit so that the heads of grain could plump up and become full. And then right at this time of the year, the end of March, the end of April, the first crop, which was the barley crop, that's the first crop that they started to take off. And the Lord made it very clear that at this time, Passover and first fruits, after they've been waiting for the harvest to begin, you know how the farmers wait for harvest time, because that's when all the income starts to come in for the year. So eagerly waiting for that harvest, will it be a good one? Will it be a bumper crop? Will it be a harsh crop and not a good one this year? You know how the farmers are thinking. And so the Lord says, now, as soon as you cut that first sheaf of barley and you wrap it up, you don't take that one and put it in your barn. The Lord will give you many more sheaves to put in your barn. But you take that sheaf and you bring it to the temple. The very first fruits. And then along with that sheaf of barley, you see the list. The lamb had to be offered and bring some oil and some wine, a whole collection of offerings to the Lord. And that is to say that this whole harvest that we are so eagerly anticipating, which is now finally beginning, oh Lord, we acknowledge it is all from your hand. Here is the first bundle that we wave and offer to you. And it's on that day, the first fruits day, that Jesus Christ rises from the dead. That day, when the women, normally speaking, should not be gathering spices and perfumes to embalm a body, what should these women be gathering up? They should be gathering up the barley sheaf. If anything, they should be getting the flask of wine and the flask of oil ready. And which direction should these women be going? Not from Jerusalem out to the tomb, but they should be getting ready to go to the temple. Not the tomb, but the temple. But you see, because of their love for the Lord, they are doing what they would not normally do on such a day. Oh, normally they might be up early, getting ready for the first fruit celebration. But now they are up even earlier because they are going to bring spices and perfume to finish a burial. That normal celebration of first fruits is far out of their minds, but not out of God's plan. At this very moment, on this very day, the Lord says, I take the feast of first fruits 
And I bring it to fulfillment in my son Jesus Christ. And I make a feast like you have never celebrated before. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, the other women, the disciples, the apostles, indeed all of God's people, they never celebrated a first fruits like this one. Why? Because it wasn't about a sheaf of barley. It was about a resurrected Savior who was the first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. In fact, the apostle writes some years later, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, just like that first sheaf of barley was normally taken to the temple. Now the first glorified new life of Jesus Christ was but the beginning. The women came to finish something that they thought had come to an end. But the Lord was making a whole new beginning. The first fruits. There are so many more resurrections unto glory yet to come. Brothers and sisters, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, these, these commemorative days of the year, we're very thankful that we have them. But they're not always easy either. It's on these festive days that we sometimes miss the people that we would love to celebrate with. A husband or a wife who has died. A child who's been taken to the Lord far sooner than we would have ever imagined or wanted. A brother or a sister, a blood brother, a sister, a brother and sister, a close brother and sister in the Lord. Death is sadly part of this earthly sojourn. And it's on the special days often that we think about those deaths. But now heaven announces, brothers and sisters, as you reflect on the death of those whom you may love, just as those women come to the grave with hearts full of love for their beloved, when you think of your beloveds, think not only of the death, but think first fruits, the beginning. Just as the Lord rose to a new life with a new glorified body, so also one day the rest of the harvest will come. And all of those tombs, all of those graves that have been quiet for so many years, just the grass growing and perhaps a few flowers there, but one day, Heaven says, don't doubt it. Those graves are going to open. The bodies will arise. 
Not to this life, but to a new life. That's the announcement that heaven wants us to hear also on this Easter Sunday. And then, as if that were not enough, to fill us with something to look forward to, something to hope for, the Lord adds that other detail of the timing very early in the morning. The Gospel of John, while it was still dark. You know that moment, brothers and sisters, if you're up early enough in the morning? Sometimes you look out in the sky and you're actually not 100% sure if the sun is starting to rise, yes or no. Somehow you sense that it's not pitch dark anymore, but it's hardly light. You haven't, don't even see the colors yet of the sunrise. It's just that it's a little bit less black. Maybe something like a charcoal gray. Well, it's that early that the women are out. But as early as the women are out, they're too late. They're too late for the resurrection of the Lord because He has risen already. They thought they were up early, but our Lord was up out of the grave. The Lord was up out of the bonds of death even earlier. Why did he rise so early in the morning? Because, brothers and sisters, he had so much to do. Sometimes we get up early in the morning because we see the agenda of the day. And we say, I have to be up at the crack of dawn, as we say. Well, Jesus Christ was up and active even before the sun started to peek up over the horizon. You say, what did he have to do? We heard it on Good Friday. It is finished. Yes, the sacrifice for all of our sins was finished. But the work now of taking that sacrifice and starting to apply it to people's lives, to start to assure them of forgiveness, the work of gathering his scattered disciples, the work of making sure that his disciples understood what they had to do to bring this gospel out to the nations. Brothers and sisters, yes, the atoning sacrifice was finished, but the work of spreading that to God's people and indeed sending that out to the nations was just beginning. And so our Lord is up even before the dawn. The sun of righteousness and glory rises before the sun in the sky. Eager, eager to take forward his work of salvation yet another step. And we think here of Lord's Day 32. Lord's Day 32 reminds us that we receive a double grace, a double grace from our God. Yes, on the one hand, he has redeemed us by his blood. That's finished. But Lord's Day 32 says Christ also renews us by his Holy Spirit. And that's what he's doing now, beginning on Easter Sunday, First Fruits Sunday. He's beginning that work to renew us more and more so that we may begin to live the new life. And that takes 
power to take someone who is totally depraved in sin, to take someone whose sinfulness goes right to the very core of his heart and to start to work that new life in that person. Brothers and sisters, that doesn't just take a little bit of effort. That doesn't even take a serious amount of exertion. That takes, Lord's Day 17, resurrection power. And our Savior is up with his resurrection strength in order to start renewing the lives of his people here and there and throughout his world. Oh, it will be a long time. He'll be renewing the lives until he returns in the clouds of heaven. That's why he gets up so early in the morning to begin that work. Double grace. You know, the disciples could, could hardly believe that the resurrection had happened, let alone that all of that work which the Lord had planned was beginning. And that's why the Lord sent two messengers, two angels. When John the Baptist was about to be born, the Lord sent one angel. It only took one mouth to pass on the message. When the Lord wanted to send the announcement that the Lord Jesus would be conceived in the womb of Mary, or to send a message to Joseph, do not divorce her, one angel, one angel, one mouth to bring the message. But here, the Holy Spirit says there were two. Two angels in dazzling apparel. They came from heaven so bright, so splendorous. Why two? Because the Lord had said in the Old Testament, if there's something that needs to be established, something that needs to be clear, especially if it's something that has, has great, even legal significance. You have to know the truth. What actually happened there? The Lord says, you never rest that on the testimony of one. If it has to be clear, you need the testimony of at least two, even three witnesses. Well, that's why suddenly, behold, there were these two messengers standing there. This is the Lord's way of saying, this is true. It may perplex you, as it perplexed the women. It may leave you marveling, as it left Peter marveling. But don't let all of your perplexed thoughts and all of your marveled astonishment keep you away from acknowledging this actually happened. He arose. He had the authority, the royal authority to lay down his life and now he uses his royal authority to take it back. And even if your mind can hardly comprehend it, the two heavenly messengers say this is history. It's not a story. Well, that's what the Jewish leaders wanted the people to think. Some story. It's what the disciples made up. But actually they stole the body. Brothers and sisters, this is no story. This is 
history. It happened. And it's saving history. And that's why when the messengers open their mouth and say, He's risen. Then they also connect it with that question, which we should not overlook. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Yeah, it is such a straightforward question, isn't it? If you know, if you know someone is alive, you, you just don't go looking for them in a graveyard. You would never do that. Why do you seek the living among the dead? You see, there are two realms. There is the realm of the dead. They are laid in the graveyard. There is the realm of the living, and we go about our work and all of our activity in another place. Our homes, businesses, our farms. There's the realm of the dead, and there's the realm of the living. And if you're looking for a living person, you don't go to the realm of the dead. But that question, brothers and sisters, that goes farther. That goes deeper. For there is not just physical death. There's also spiritual death. Sin leads to spiritual death. This is what the book of Proverbs says over and over again. It warns us that immorality and lust Lack of discipline, Proverbs 19, I'm thinking of. Lying, gossiping, Proverbs 21. All of these things, the wisdom of the Proverbs is they're deadly. Maybe not physically deadly, but spiritually, they're deadly. And we, brothers and sisters, who, who profess that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we who by the grace of God are united to this risen Savior, this question comes over the centuries and it comes through the generations. And these messengers from heaven say, Child of God, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you, who know the new life in Jesus Christ, why do you go back to the realm of spiritual death? You know what gossip is. Gossip is a graveyard. You know what greed is. Greed is a graveyard. You know what lust and, and, and unbelief and all of these things. They're all part of the realm of spiritual death. Why do you go back there? You don't belong there. We say that's right. We don't belong there. And we say, actually, I don't know how to answer that question, to be honest. Why do I do it? I know, I, I, I've heard it so many times from the pulpit, the Bible studies, everything, my parents, upbringing. I know that we don't belong there. Why? 
Brothers and sisters, the why is because that sinful nature is so powerful. But this is what heaven wants us to hear. This is all part of why these two angels left the presence of, this, of the Lord in heaven and for this moment came down and they stood where? In a graveyard. In a place which represents the wages of sin, which is death. They stood there right in the realm of the dead and with bright, dazzling light. They didn't stop with the question. What did they say? It was actually the answer to the question for us. Why do you search for the living among the dead? There is the new life to live. Where do you find that new life? How can you possibly begin even to live it? He has risen. That's the answer to the question. He's risen. And by his resurrected power, not by our own spiritual determination, not by our own efforts. We try and we fail. We try and we fail. Lord's Day 17 says it so clearly. Please, brothers and sisters, do not miss the little word His in Lord's Day 17. Speaking about the new life that we are to live. By his power, not by your power, not by my power, not by our collective power, but by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. Sometimes we can hardly see it, can hardly believe it. We're perplexed. We marvel at the fact that after knowing it so well, we still stumble so far. Is there any hope? Is there any brightness? Is there any light on the horizon in this struggle against sin? Heaven sent two angels and said, Yes. Death is powerful. Christ is more powerful. By his power, he arose by his power. He raises us up to new life. It's but a small beginning. Oh, so small that you can hardly see it sometimes. But you remember which day it happened. First fruits. You don't see the whole harvest on first fruits. You see one little sheaf. That's what was brought to the temple. But more and more and more is to come until the final harvest day when this power of Christ will wipe away all of the sins and all of the struggles. Two angels came to announce it. Let us, with heart and mouth, confess, yes, it's true. Amen.